Let us gather. Let us begin by, uh, by praying the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Even though we're not immediately going to celebrate the Eucharist, that's a very appropriate uh, prayer um, it connects humility, our humility, with uh, communion. And uh, I want to try to bring that relationship out as we uh, go through the lesson today. So the question <clears throat> for the next uh, maybe two or three weeks is, um, what's, what is humility and what is pride and what is the relationship that exists between them, are they, uh, is, is humility a virtue or a vice? You'll find people in our society who think that, vir that humility is a vice. Uh, and uh, the, the same kind of, of disagreement occurs about uh, pride. Some people think pride is a sin, and others think that pride is a virtue. And uh, so I want to try to sort out those, um, those issues uh, in the next two or three weeks. We may not get through all this today. Well, we, I hope we won't, because I need material for the next. <laughs> I don't think there's any, any danger of that. OK, let's look at some, uh, begin with some voices from the Christian past, some theologians. Uh, these, are, these are people who were very practical theologians in the sense that they, they were, well, uh, Benedict was an abbot, and uh, Jonathan Edwards was a preacher, and, um, and the um, Walter Hilton, whom we'll look at, it was, I I'm not sure what his role was, but he was some kind of monastic, probably. Um, Benedict gives some rules, or his, his his manual is called the rule, and it's the rule of the, of the order. And uh, at, at a couple of points in the, in the rule, you've got these exercises of humility. And uh, so I'm quoting here from those. The, the monk, in the sixth step of humility, the monk thinks himself a poor and worthless workman in his appointed tasks. And then in the seventh step, a man not only confesses that he is an inferior and common wretch, but believes it in the depths of his heart. So you don't want any insincere <laughs> uh, confessions of being a worthless wretch. Um, 
Here's Walter Hilton from The Ladder of Perfection, which was a, a manual, a spiritual manual from the Middle Ages. And this may be a little small to read. It behooveth thee to have humility on this manner. Thou shalt in thy will and in thy feeling judge thyself unfitting to dwell among men and unworthy to serve God in conversation with his servants and as unprofitable to thy Christian brethren, wanting both skill and power, that is to say, lacking both skill and power, to fulfill any good works of active life in help of thy neighbor, as other men and women do, and therefore, as a wretch and an outcast and refuse of all men, art shut up in a house alone, that thou shouldst not grieve or offend man or woman by thy bad example, seeing that thou canst profit them, not profit them in any well-doing. So again, we get some pretty potent um, self-deprecation. And then Jonathan Edwards gives us the, maybe the mildest of these, <laughs> these statements, and he, he introduces uh, some, other, some other elements. He says, humility may be defined to be, for one thing, he's saying, he's trying to offer you a definition, and I don't think the other two were offering you actually a definition of the virtue. But humility, <coughs> humility may be defined to be a habit of mind and heart corresponding to our comparative unworthiness and vileness before God, or a sense of our own comparative meanness in his sight. What this one adds, maybe, is the, uh, the, the, compar the comparison is no longer a comparison to the other people. There was, there was interestingly, a comparison to the other people uh, in the... Um, in the other quotations, and, and we were supposed to think ourselves worse and more, more of a wretch and more, more unworthy than the people. Here we still get the comparative element, but it, the, the comparison is with God. Um, so, uh, and our sense of, yeah, comparative meanness in his sight. So, I want to have a little bit of a conversation with you. Um, I wonder what what do you think of this? Is that <clears throat> is that what you take humility to be? Is that a virtue? Uh, the the uh, attitude that these three theologians, pretty pretty authoritative people <laughs> in the history of the church, um, say uh, humility is, or or suggest that humility is. I, uh, yes, uh, Rich, back there. Uh-huh. And then and then I think of all the times the scriptures speak about being children of God. Uh-huh. And so I wrestle with it too, I mean, because as I'm I'm working with that, because if I'm absolutely without value and worth and all these things, then what do I do with the other scriptures which talks about what it means to have been saved is to be brought into the kingdom? Yes. So I'm hearing some resistance to the tradition. <laughs> Anyone else want to say something? Uh, yes, uh, Kathy.
Yeah. Okay. So, so thinking badly of yourself gets you closer to God. I mean, is that no? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Rich. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the um, the uh, resistance to the tradition, and then an effort to um, rest- restore it. Or um, Nancy. Okay, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. That sounds like maybe um, what Rich would be suggesting. That may be the verse that you had in mind, Rich. Uh, let's see, I saw, okay, uh, Christy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe there's a competition for wretchedness. Uh, I, I am more wretched than thou, and therefore a better person. <laughs> uh, yeah, the back. Okay, that's a, that's a very interesting suggestion. Uh, so far, everybody in the conversation until the last commentator has thought humility has, and that, this includes the theologians, right? Uh, that humility must be some kind of self-assessment, either high or, or, I mean, either low or medium probably, but n- probably not high, right? But in, in any case, it's an ass- a self-assessment. And the suggestion, this last suggestion, is that maybe it's not a self, self-assessment at all. Maybe it's something else. Uh, and the, the comment suggested that maybe it was attention to God. So humility might be attention to God. Let's now look at the thought of a pagan about this very uh, question. Um, In the uh, inquiry concerning the principles of morals, David Hume, who who is systematically trying to undermine uh, Christianity and to to introduce naturalism, he's trying to introduce uh, a kind of metaphysical view in which everything about morals can be explained from inside the the, the human being, right? It's just a matter sort of of, uh, of dispositions within the human being. Uh, virtues are not, are not um, 
prescribed from above uh, to us. And so he, he, calls, he, he cites this list of what he calls virtues, um, and then he set, calls them monkish, and this is not a very happy term for them, celibacy, fasting, penance, mortification, self-denial, humility, silence, and solitude. It's interesting that that list, in, in my view, that list contains only one, one uh, habit or disposition, right? It's, the rest of them are all practices, the practice of celibacy, the practice of fasting, and so forth. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's interesting that Hume, who makes quite a bit about virtues, would, would uh, make that what appears to be a category mistake, right? Uh, confusing practices with virtues. Practices, I take it, when they're uh, Christian practices, might be aimed at developing habits of mind and heart, habits of behavior uh, that, that, are, that can be, then be called the virtues. But virtues, as well as vices, are dispositions, aren't they? They're not, it's not something, a virtue is not an action that you perform repeatedly, like a, like a practice. You can, you can repeatedly practice fasting, say, but you don't repeatedly practice, um, say, um, compassion. Or if you do, I mean, you, can, you could practice that, but then the practice wouldn't be the virtue. It would be the way of getting the virtue or the way of expressing the virtue in your behavior. So <clears throat> here's Hume's uh, criticism. He says, these so-called virtues cross all desirable ends, that is to say they they conflict with every, every good purpose that any human being could have. Uh, they stupefy the understanding and harden the heart, obscure the fancy, that is to say they, they dull your imagination, and sour the temper. <laughs> In other words, humility is very, very bad for you. <laughs> okay. Uh. And uh, so, so in a way, um, Hume is agreeing with Rich, uh, even though Rich and Hume, <laughs> Rich and Hume have very different worldviews, I think. But uh, but it's interesting that they agree that um, humility <laughs> is not a good thing. And this, when I, I started out by saying. You know, some people in the contemporary world think that humility is a vice, and, and this, is, this is it. Right? I mean, they, this, this idea that, that you should be going around thinking you're a wretch and that you can do no good and that you're, uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a hopeless, worthless, worthless uh, sort of workman, <laughs> uh, that just is not good for people, you know? It's, what they need is self-esteem. And... Uh, so that's a very modern view, and uh, we see it here in Hume, and, and we see it in the congregation, and we see it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that could very well be so. Um, <clears throat> I want to turn now to Philippians 2, verses 2 to 7. And uh, this is, <clears throat> I would say, the locus classicus for humility in the New Testament. It's, a, it's the statement that sort of captures the essence of humility as the New Testament understands it. And it, it has a, a narrative counterpart in John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But in, in both of these passages, Jesus, our Lord, is presented as the paradigm of humility, right? He is the, he is the model, the exemplar uh, for humility. He's the one who, who's, who, whose humility we should be imitating. And I think that if we, we think about uh, if we think about Jesus and try, sort of do a little survey of the, of the uh, Gospels and what the kind of personality that comes out in the Gospels or the kind of self-understanding that seems to be expressed by Jesus um, calling disciples and, uh, and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, criticizing the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and and, um, and uh, even correcting the law a little bit, right? The, law, the Jewish law, a little tweaking that. Uh, when, we, when we think back, I think it's very hard to find that kind, that picture of humility that, um, that we get in those theologians that we read. Right? I mean, that just doesn't seem to be Jesus. <laughs> Jesus doesn't go around saying, oh, what a worthless wretch I am, and I can't do any, any good for anybody, and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. He doesn't do that. Uh, in fact, he seems super self-confident. I mean, the fact that he stands up there at a 30-year-old and criticizes the, the religious leaders of the day, the elders and, the, and so on, and the fact that he speaks with authority as the, as the, as the commentator, comment has it at the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, right, this crowd was amazed because he spoke with authority. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a, a kind of a guy who thinks he's a worm and uh, can't do anything good. Um, he goes around commanding people, right, saying, do this, do that. Uh, yeah. So, let's read this passage then. Paul says, Complete my joy by being of one mind, one love, one spirit, one concern. Notice one, 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 one. This is all about unity. And it's unity in the congregation, in, in the Philippian church, right? Uh, He's apparently presupposing that the Philippian church needs uh, to work on its unity, <laughs> right? And so this, that's the context of this, uh, this passage. Not in rivalry or conceit, 
these, these words. They're, they're crucial to, to the account, I think. Um, these words are translated in various ways in the different translations of the New Testament. One of them is eritheia, which means kind of combat or rivalry or, or uh, competition or something like that. And then the other is kenodoxia, which actually uses the, words, the same word keno, uh, which is to empty something. Um, the same word is used of the vice, right? And, and so it's kind of vanity in the sense, a kind of empty self-display, empty, uh, empty uh, conceit, uh, vain conceit. Um, okay, so, but in humility, ceding to others more importance than yourselves, each of you not pursuing your own interest, but also others' interest. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't regard being equal to God as something to be insisted on, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born as a human being. Okay, so what do you think Paul if, if you were to, if it's true that, that say, that, that medieval tradition and, and Hume and uh, contemporary people who think that uh, humility is a vice, um, if, if what they have in mind when they think humility is the, some kind of self-assessment and a, probably a negative self-assessment, at best a not-too-high self-assessment, um, what does Paul think it is? Does it seem to be here in this passage? Does it seem to be a self-assessment? Yeah. I feel like it's an action. It's really not about you. It's about really stepping aside and how you interact with other people. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really not about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I do feel like it, it, it is an action. It's and that's what Christ was. Yeah. Yes. 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 So, so I feel like it's it's so far from an assessment, and it, and it, yeah. and it takes emptying yourself because as as human beings, I don't think we have the capacity to be that humble. I I think it takes the Holy Spirit, us letting the Holy Spirit come in and realizing it's not about us. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So, and, and what do you, you I, I heard you say it's an action and, you, and that it's, uh, you use the word emptying <laughs> too. Um, so, uh, what do you think it's, in, in Christ's case, what is it an emptying of? I mean, or what, what gets poured out, you might say, or, or eliminated from, from his, from him? <laughs> In the emptying, Brad. The emptying of your pride. I think of I think that humility is a best form of faith. The opposite of pride is a first faith. Mm -hmm. I think you have to empty yourself of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you do that. 
Okay. Now, what you've done is to move on to the application of this, of the, of the, of the analogy, right? The, we have an analogy here between what the Philippians as a church are supposed to do to themselves <laughs> and what Christ did to himself, right? And he's the model in what he did should be the model for what the Philippians and we do. Um, but you have moved on to what you and, you and I should do, namely empty ourselves of these vices of pride, like rivalry and conceit. Uh, but that isn't what Jesus em emptied himself of, I take it. it. It wasn't as though Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, was um, full of, of uh, vanity and arrogance and uh, conceit and so forth, and he gave that up. That, yeah, so. His what? His rights as the Son of God, exactly, yes. Okay, I'm sorry to be so forceful. Uh, but, you know, when somebody says something I agree with, then I get enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, so Christ divests himself of the, of the privileges and rights and entitlements of Godhead, right, of his sort of sovereignty and he becomes a, a servant. He becomes a, uh, an enfleshed being, just like us, in such a way that he can, be, he can die a cruel death and be counted among sinners. Um, so he kind of, in, in a way, he gives up his lordship, even though uh, he still claims it in, in, in the earthly form as well. It gets maybe a little complicated to try to say what he divested of himself of and what he didn't. But it's something along those lines. And it's done on our behalf, right? It's, it's, it's for us. It's like the um, ceding to others more important than yourselves. Uh, the, that it's, it's as though Christ is ceding to humanity uh, more importance than certain aspects of his Godhead because he's giving them up, uh, just as uh, the Philippians are to cede to others greater importance than themselves in consequence of giving up rivalry and conceit and, and these vices of pride. So there's an analogy between the two, but there's not an identity. The Christ's humility is not, or Christ's humbling himself, his action of, of, of humility is not the same as the action that Paul is calling uh, the Philippians to. Yes, way back there. No doubt that would be part of it. Um, Yeah, he gives, he gives up, uh, I mean, in a way, I mean, maybe, maybe the incarnate Christ, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ is also already so attuned to God the Father that in a way there's nothing to give up, right? But, but he, is, um, he is certainly ceding his will. He's, he's conceding his will to God uh, the Father. 
what was the what what did you take the view to be? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the picture. Steve? That's nice. I like that. Yeah. So each of the each of our parts is kind of um, making its contribution without trying to be the only <laughs> the the whole show. Uh, Dan. That's the, that's the bearing of communion, right? The, the, that's what communion is. We come together and we unify with each other and with God through the Eucharist that draws us uh, into a kind of uh, unity. And, of course, that's symbolic or something like that of, uh, of our love for one another and of our love for God, uh, what, what we receive from God, what we give back to God in the way of worship and um, so, I'm a little bit unclear uh, what time we should be looking at here. Okay, it's 10.30, and we can go until what? 45. 45, 12, uh, 10.45, okay. Um, yeah, all right, let's uh, move on. So, what, what is humility? That's, I think we've answered that question uh, in the... It's a humility then would be a um, divesting oneself of the vice, or the action of, hum of humbling oneself would be the divesting of oneself of the vices of pride, um, <clears throat> just as um, Christ divested himself of Godhead. So the humility of a Christian is his or her emptiness of such vices as selfish ambition and vain conceit. And here again, we get the distinction between a practice and a virtue. Uh, so the virtue then is going to be the emptiness that results from the emptying, right? The, the practice of emptying um, will, will then result in a kind of emptiness in us, 
we're going to be empty of the vices of pride. And, um, and that will be, that's what the humility is. It, it is that emptiness, that lack of disposition to act according to the vices of pride and think, and to think in terms of them. Uh, I think we've also answered this question, why should a Christian be empty of such vices as selfish ambition and vain conceit? Uh, wh what would be the answer to that? I mean, we've kind of had it here already. Um, yeah, it allows us to love one another. If you're, if you're conceited, if you're all turned in on yourself and you think you're greater than anybody else, and you're kind of looking down on everybody else, you're not, a, you're not in a position to love them, right? So there's a, there's a very strong uh, <clears throat> doctrine, you might say, of equality, of human equality here. We are to see each other without these pecking orders. <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the church, we love each other e the, as, as utter equals. Love, you, love your neighbor as yourself, right? No, no distinction in, uh, in evaluation. And that, that's going to be true what, no matter who that neighbor is. I take it. It's going to mean that neighbor may be somebody whose sexual orientation is different from, from yours. But you're, you're to love that person. Uh, that's not to be a barrier. Yes. And that's true humility. So that's what I Okay. In the kind of communion that we're talking about here, it, when, it, when it's, you might say, agopic communion. Agape is this, this equal love, love of neighbor, um, love of the other as an equal to oneself. Um, in that love, there's a kind of um, reciprocity. And so, I rejoice in the presence of the, of the other. I love the other, and I, I, I see the other as beautiful, and as desirable, and uh, as valuable. And then the other responds to me in the same way, that, in the same way. And I see reflected in the joy of the other, who's taking joy in my presence, in my very being, in my in the, my beauty, as a person, that uh, I see reflected in the other's joy about me, that I am also beautiful. Right. So if I have been, if I've been oppressed, like maybe, maybe I've been, uh, I'm mentally uh, disabled, and. Um, I've spent my life in institutions being cared for by, um, by caregivers, by professionals who don't, who, who just treat me as another case. Uh, then if I, if I meet somebody who takes joy in my, in my very existence, uh, I see that I'm beautiful too, 
And I didn't think I was beautiful. I thought I was a wretch, you know, because I, I have a mental disability and I can't, uh, I can't, I'm just not equal to everybody else. In this, in this world of com competition and, and of striving and of idealization of excellence and so forth, I just don't fit. I'm not, I'm worthless, right? You get that, you can get that feeling by living in a ghetto or by being a, being locked away in a, in a mental hospital. Um, nothing, you get no indications of your value, right? And, and here, somebody comes along and loves you with Christian love, takes real joy in your existence, looks in your eyes and smiles and laughs and laughs with you and celebrates something or other, your birthday maybe. <laughs> And uh, you, um, you see that you are beautiful. It's a, it's a kind of revela revelation to you. Uh, so that, and that's why, I mean, we talk about communion rather than just agape, because Mother Teresa can go around having agape for the, for the, uh, the poor people in, the, in Calcutta, sort of very, very short-term love acts, but uh, there's, there's not really ongoing communion between her and those, uh, and those people. So it's agape, but it's a kind of a one-way one agape. She loves them with Christ's love. And maybe they get some sense of that, from the, from, of, her, of their own beauty, from, from her loving them. But they're not also, you know, returning that love in, in the fullest sense. So... So it's not c quite communion. Yes, way back there. Yeah, I'm seeing a connection between uh, kind of the concept of the fear of the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord being a right understanding of who God is and who you are, and that if you truly understood and had the fear of the Lord, you were able to love him because of it. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Fear doesn't seem to be it, it. Just intuitively, you know, fear doesn't seem to be such a <laughs> a unifying emotion, right? I mean, it tends to when you're when you're afraid of something or somebody, you tend to back off. And but um, but that's a. It would be interesting to try to work that out. Right, yeah, right. It does. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Nancy.
Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's very nice. Thank you. That's perfect. Perfect. Um, yes, please. Yes. Yes. Uh, I I think I think she she said she was talking about loving God, right? And and how that generates humility. Uh, Yes. Yes. Okay. I think you know, the you know, the relationship with God is also, of course, in in all of this, uh, and and uh, I I think it's um, it's Pauline in the in the Philippians passage perhaps, or at least suggested by the New Testament, that, um, that we don't love God in abstraction from lo- loving one another, right? That uh, the, the relationship that we have with God, trusting, knowing ourselves to be loved by him, um, is, is mediated in a way by the congregation, by the, by the, by the fellow human beings that we uh, we are in communion with, so the communion of the with with one another and the communion with God are are pretty much inseparable. Uh, I know that there are hermits in the in the Christian tradition who try to go out and just just have a kind of one to one relationship with God, but um, but for the most part. Com- uh, Relationship with God is mediated and and uh, and brought about by way of love in the community uh, and of human beings. Yes, Jennifer.
Mm -hmm. That's, that sounds very much like what Paul is saying in that, in the Philippians passage. Okay? I don't know how, we're, we're, I think we've gone beyond 1045, but... At a minimum, just discouragement as to whether you should use them in the community, right? I mean, it does seem... Very good. All right. Uh, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll continue to go if, uh, if, the, if nobody stops me. <laughs> Dan? I, I have a question about the apparent word up on the screen. Oh. Selfish ambition. Yeah. Uh, is it redundant to speak of selfish ambition? Or is there an ambition that's consistent with humility? You know, I'd love to talk about that. Uh, it's, a, it's, a long, it's a long matter. Um, maybe we can do that in one of the next couple of weeks. Um, but it's, I, I, the short answer is, I think that there's virtuous ambition as well as vice, vicious ambition. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's,
sounds very wise to me, I think. Uh, Martin. Well, uh, oh, okay. I can get one more. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the whole idea that, that a virtue could be just an emptiness is really a kind of an interesting puzzle, and maybe we can address that too in the next uh, week or two. Thank you very much. <laughs>